0: All right, guys, the summer is halfway over yesterday, and there's always so much going on in the life of our church. For us, the summer is about many things, but it is about short-term mission trips. You just heard from a middle schooler and a high schooler. Here's what I'm excited about. Every time I talk to Pastor Justin, whenever they get back from the trip, there's always the fun story of all that God did through the students who went. That's always exciting. This is you know, how they impacted, and this is how that this family or this home will be different. But what's more exciting, and what you heard in the video, is not just what God does through you, but what God does in you in a mission trip and we're unbelievably excited about that. Now listen guys, I mean this. In a few weeks, I'll probably get up here and I'll give you another update about you know our future home and hub and, and we're really excited about that but i mean this hear me hear me say this that our sending capacity is always going to be more important and more foundational than our seating capacity and that's why here's what i'm so excited about this year so far and we're only in july so it's been like a little over 6 months this year we've been able to send 225 people on short-term mission trips isn't that incredible yeah. <laughs> I, that's all awesome. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you, Justin, for for putting all of that together, guys. Uh, That's over 10% of our church. We've been able to send on mission so far. And of those 225, my wife and I were two of them, and we got to go to Uganda recently. I want to show you a picture. We got to meet our sponsored kids from Compassion. This was such a cool experience. I mean, really, what what ended up happening, by the way, they needed to bring uh, the three kids from, there's 451 Compassion projects in Uganda. So our kids were at different Compassion projects. They brought them all to us. Uh, One went seven hours to meet us. Now, here's what's really interesting. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, our kids, our three kids, we got same age, same gender as our kids. They don't speak the same language of each other. We had three different translators because they were from three different parts of Uganda. And let me just tell you, as I mean, you have an experience like that, my wife and I just come back and we feel like we've got to be an advocate or advocates for uh, compassion. Uh, they are doing an incredible work there. I know you probably know this. We did a compassion weekend. You can take a picture down. We did a compassion weekend Uh, a year and a half ago, whatever it was, and we sponsored over 430 kids, so that means a lot of you in here got to sponsor a kid, one or more kids, and let me just ask you this on behalf of Compassion. Can you write your kids? Because here's what I found out, that all of our kids read all of our letters, and I talked to a lot of former Compassion kids, and they would be brought to tears talking about the significance and importance of the letters. So here, this is a huge part of what we're about, guys. We're about local, national, global missions. In fact, tomorrow night, I want you to come back, okay? I want you to make it difficult on us. I want us to, to, to every nook and cranny of this place be packed for our prayer night. We're going to have prayer night tomorrow night, and, and our prayer nights are never events that could have been emails, never, okay? Uh, these are going to be meaningful. We're going to be praying for our local, national, global partners. We've actually asked several of our partners to send in videos from where they are to us specifically with the progress they're making and the prayer requests they have and so you don't wanna miss this. Donovan and his team are gonna be leading us in worship, and then we're gonna be having a significant time of prayer together. So let's, let's pray right now uh, for our partners and for our sending culture, and then we're gonna dive into the end of Ephesians 5 and speak about men and marriage then. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just take a moment right now, and uh, we're just so grateful. I'm grateful for the 225 people in our church that got to go out. I'm thankful for the work you're doing in them and through them. I pray that our church would take seriously being a sending shepherding and supporting church, that we would send people, we would send resources, that when we send, we wouldn't forget. We would care for them, we would pray for them, we would shepherd them. And I pray that tomorrow night would be a significant moment where people more and more understand the needs in our city, in our nation, and in our world, and we come together to seek your face, seek your heart, seek your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen well why aren't men growing up and why aren't men getting married now you may say those are two different questions and the answer is kind of they're actually a very connected question and there's a very simple reason for this because of all, throughout all of human history basically to get married was the exact same thing as to grow up i mean there were some exceptions but almost everybody got married and for almost everybody that was the sign to everybody else that you grew up well think about why well, that might be because, you, well, you have to leave your parents and you have to become financially independent and you have to become the kind of person a woman wants to spend her life with. And then you have to learn how to woo and pursue her. And so basically all of culture thought, if a guy can do that, he's probably a man, right? The problem today is men aren't growing up and men aren't getting married. And we're going to get to Ephesians 5. You can type to Ephesians 5. Type to turn to Ephesians 5.25. I'm going to pick you up and meet you there in, in just a few minutes, but I have to talk about our culture. We always have to do this. We have to look at the text, the Bible, and our culture. We have to understand both. And here's what you need to know. Men are not growing up, and I wanna tell you why. And some of you are not growing up, and I wanna tell you why. <laughs> it's like, well, why aren't you growing up? Well, let me tell you why. It's, it's the sad condition of men in America today. And there's three words that define a lot of young men. And by the way, I'm very hopeful for young men. We believe in young men. We wanna invest in young men. We wanna call young men up. But here's the condition of young men in society today. They are dependent, they are addicted, And because of those two things, they play off themselves and view themselves as victims, right? So let's talk about how men are dependent. Men are dependent, this really exacerbated and amplified and magnified through COVID when everybody moved back in with their parents. Listen, they say now the number one place an 18 to 34 year old lives now, the number one place he lives is with his parents. We're becoming more dependent. We're, oh, you know, by, by the way, here's what a boy says. A boy says this, somebody else should take care of me. That's what a boy says, and a boy should say that. And a man says, uh, I need to grow up so that I can take care of somebody else. Do you know that right now, 20% of American men who are able-bodied have been without work for one year? What is going on? It's like, this is, okay, yeah. It's like, go live with your parents and go be dependent on the government. It's like, that's not gonna work. And then when you do that, and you, then all of a sudden you're not working, and we know this, a bored man is a very dangerous man, okay? And so a man finds himself in all types of trouble. And some of you are like, how did I get here? It's, well, the answer is one step at a time. But men find themselves drinking too much, right? Men find themselves eating too much. How about this? 70% of young men are so obese they can't join the military. What is wrong with us? We're addicted to pornography. We're addicted to drugs and alcohol. Young men are addicted to uh, video games. I mean, men are just absolutely addicted. And then, because of those two realities, here's what's happened. Men are victims. Now, have you heard of incels? Anyone heard of incels? A couple of you heard of incels? You never want to meet them, okay? But here's what they are. Incels are a group of men. They're on the internet. They're growing. They're somewhat violent. And, And it stands for incel. Think about this. It stands for involuntarily celibate. These are young men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they're angry. And who are they angry at? Are they angry at themselves? No, that would be a good place to start. They're angry at women. They're like, women don't wanna date us, and women don't wanna have sex with us, and women don't wanna marry us, and all women don't wanna date us. It's like, well, all right, guys, listen. If every woman you meet rejects you, you can finish it. You might be the problem. If everywhere you go, it stinks, maybe you're the one that smells. Now, here's the other hard thing, okay? And this is the difference we're gonna talk, we have to constantly talk about the difference between men and women. Okay, women, or I should maybe say girls, girls naturally become women. It just happens, I don't fully understand it. Nature does it to them and very rarely, almost never, will you meet like a 35 year old woman who you're like, you're still kind of a girl. It's like, no, no, nature did this to you and you will naturally become a woman. It's like deeply biological and it will just happen. But men must be brought kicking and screaming into manhood, right? (laughs) And it needs to, and and honestly it needs to happen with other men And, and the main way that men, men have been trying to figure out how to bring other boys into manhood, well, for as long as we've existed. And our best answer is rites of passage. It's our best answer. We draw a line in the sand and we say, well, when you're 13 or when you're 15 or when you're 12, and you're gonna do these things and I'm gonna mark it and I'm gonna tell you and you're gonna know when you're not a boy anymore and you're a man and we don't have those anymore. The closest thing that we have left is the driver's license. And what's so strange to me, I mean, I grew up at a time where I got my permit the day you could get your permit. And I had to wait six months. That was Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania time. I had to wait six months from that day to get my license. And I went and got my license the day I could get my license. I don't know why young men aren't wanting to get their license today. Maybe they wanna ride in the back of an Uber and look at their Instagram, I don't know. It's the symbol. I can't not think of a better symbol of responsibility and authority and autonomy and freedom. Marriage calls a man to grow up like almost nothing else does. I'm not saying a man can't grow up before he's married. I'm just saying it's very, very hard because it's very, very hard to grow up until somebody becomes more important than you. And that's the moment. This is, we see this biblically. Remember Jacob? Jacob, he worked seven years for Rachel and he says it seems as if it was a few days. King David went to king, went to, well, he wasn't king yet. David, when he was a young man, he went to King Saul and he said, I want to marry your daughter. And Saul said, if you want to marry, you got to kill 100 Philistines. You remember what he did? He killed 200. There's something about marriage that makes a man grow up. Well, why aren't men getting married? Well, you could say, well, people aren't getting married. And that's true because marriage used to be the foundation of adulthood. And now it's the finishing touches. You used to get married and kind of grow up together. It's like, well, here we are 18, 20, 22. We get married, we grow up together. Now it's like, let me express myself as a part of my adulthood later in life with the type of wedding and the spouse I marry. And it says, it's another way to express myself. Here's the, you know, and I talk, I know I have to talk about this stuff all the time, but why aren't men getting married? We know the number one reason, right? Sex. Men are addicted to pornography, and so that has this weird effect on guys where they end up being more attracted to pixels than a real person. Uh, we have this hookup, up breakup culture. Uh, we have a, a, you know, the sexual revolution, basically men no longer, think about this, men no longer needed, as a general rule, men needed to get married to have sex. And so as a general rule, men viewed marriage as the beginning of their sexual lives. Today in the culture, men view marriage as the end of their sexual lives. And then then, then there's this whole other thing that men basically have been doing the math. And I read all about this, and this was really interesting. Men are afraid to get married. They're afraid to get married for a couple reasons. Number one, they saw their parents' and their grandparents' marriages. And they either thought, that marriage was so horrible, I don't want it or they thought that marriage didn't last. And if my parents or my grandparents can't do it, I don't know if I can do it. And then they look at the court system and you could argue this and I don't mean this in a political way and potentially how it's not very good for men. The chance that you get custody of your kids in a divorce case is 10% if you're a guy. In North Carolina, you pay alimony the rest of her life or the rest of your life. And a lot of guys go, "Mm, no thanks. And so what I want us to do, men need to be encouraged about marriage It's goodness, it's high aim and what they need to do in it. So let's look at, I'm gonna read the entirety, nine verses, uh, starting in Ephesians 5. And Paul is calling men to grow up and get married and enjoy it. it. Says this, husbands, so last week I spoke to the women, this week I'm speaking to you men, rest of the time. Husbands, here it is, underline it, highlight it, circle it, this is the key and controlling word for the rest of the passage, love, which men do not understand, we'll talk about it. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ, so he's the point and pattern of marriage, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blameless and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should, here it is again, third time, love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Then he then he gives us this high view at the end. Therefore, he's quoting Genesis here, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so we are, in the part of Paul's letters that are called the house codes. These are the house codes. Martin Luther, he was a famous monk, turned reformer, church leader. And in the 1500s, he was really the first person to do this. He noticed, wait a second, uh, at a lot of the end of Paul's letters, he applies, this is important, he applies deep Christian doctrine. And we were really in deep Christian doctrine in one through three. He he applies uh, deep Christian doctrine in practical ways to the home. Now, what's interesting is he says three times as many things here to the men as he did to the women. And I think there's a really, and I want the women to understand this about the men and I want the men to understand this about themselves. Here's what men are. Men are practical theologians, much more than a woman is. This is why men don't read fiction almost ever, okay? Men don't read actually, but, but, but <laughs> true story. Almost all the books are bought by, all fiction books are mostly bought by women. But, but if, if a man decides I'm going to give my time to read, he normally wants to read something really practical. Like, like, okay, well, then if I'm gonna read, like how do I grow my business? And how do I make more money? And how do I you know figure out the tension between work and family? And, and that's what he wants to do. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this passage to men, and, and I will tell you that this part is the offensive part in that day, not today, right? I mean, part of the thing is whenever we say men need to do these five things, everyone's like, yeah, and ten more things as well. You know, that's kind of how people are. Unfortunately, people are very tough on men. Uh, the, the non-offensive part was what we did last week, although that's very offensive in culture. It's very interesting to see how things become, depending on the time and place you live in, certain things were offensive and aren't anymore. Why, well, Smith, your husband? Zero percent offensive back then. Husbands lovingly sacrifice for your wives. Very offensive back then. Not offensive today. Okay, we gotta talk about a lot today, uh, this morning. Okay, we'll see what we can get through. Okay, the first thing we have to talk about is what is love? Okay, now here's the, here's the difference between men and women as well, and you know this. Whenever you, women are harder on themselves, right? Women, women tend to notice the flaws in how they look or in their character, in their personality. And in general, what I have found is that if you basically give a sermon like I did last week and you say, submit to your husbands and respect them and you might be the problem in your marriage, like most women go home if they're rightly oriented and they, they, they go, oh, I probably am like not where I should be. I should be submitting more. You know, I probably could be more respectful and you, know, you know, oh man, I feel really bad about all this. But if you tell men, like I'm doing this morning, if I tell you men, love your wives, most of you think you're welcome, I'm doing it. <laughs> I mean, this is how men are. We're dense, we think we're loving our wives. Like I, I you know, the chance that you're doing all the things that Paul's telling you to do here is almost certainly 0%. Some of you are doing an okay job of this. Some of you are not doing this at all, okay? And, and here's what, men, so men tend to think, you know, I'm loving my wife, well, why? Well, because I say, I love you when I leave the house. Or, you know, or guys look back, I mean, guys tend to look back at like a moment. They're like, well, you know, I wouldn't have done the vows and gotten married if I didn't love you, you know, and I wouldn't work and I wouldn't do all the things I'm doing if I didn't love you and the kids. And well, that's the first thing. Then the the other thing is um, women, or sorry, men, uh, tend to view love, either they think they're doing it or they view it only in sexual and passionate terms. They're all like, oh yeah, I'm ready to love you, baby. You know? (laughs) And all the wives are like, hold on, Castanova, you know, no, no thank you because I don't feel loved. Okay, so, so here's what it means. Here's what headship means. Headship, that, that's what we talked about last week, okay? Headship means that the husband is to be the loving leader and the leading lover. Uh, the man finds himself. Okay, this is, this is where you guys have to get with yourself. You have to just like, you have to have a conversation with yourself and go, I'm in a place of inescapable leadership. It doesn't say you will be the head, you should be the head, vote on who the head is. It says you are the head. And here's what this means, and I've seen this. When a man leaves his family and you know, marries a woman half his age and leave, you know, moves across the country and starts over, the family he left, you know what dominates that family? The empty chair at the dining room table every evening. If a man is weak and wimpy and passive in his marriage and lets his wife wear the pants, It will be the thing the kids remember about the marriage. It will be the thing the wife resents in the marriage. What does it mean to be the loving leader? Let me just get, because again, men, you need a lot of help, so do I, okay? (laughs) Here's what it means. You say let's all the time. You lead in saying let's. Let's pray together. Let's go on a date night. Let's think about where the kids are and what would be best for them. Let's put together a financial plan for our family and our marriage. Now, you may ask this question, what does it mean that a woman needs to feel loved? Why does it say love? Because this is interesting. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that women are supposed to love their husbands. Why? Because they naturally do that. What, here's what I think. I think that both men and women are equally insecure. It shows itself. you know. We're, We're equally insecure. We live in a sinful, broken world. We're aware of our weaknesses and our sins and our struggles and our failures. And a man's insecurity, what he needs from his wife and his insecurity of, am I doing enough? Am I accomplishing enough? Do I have what it takes? Every man's asking that question. Do I have what it takes? And the insecurity is, well, the desire is the wife would respect and see and encourage that. The wife has her own insecurities. And what she needs is, when you think love, man, here's what you need to think for your wife. Is she secure and does she feel seen? The number one thing that I'm hearing from lots of women is they basically feel invisible. They feel, what's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is not hated, the opposite of loved. And many of you men are doing this with your wives. Your wife feels taken for granted and nobody and nothing is honored by being taken for granted. So what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us five types of love. This is where we're going to start our time. You're going to see them. They're going to rise right out of the text. And each man in here needs to take responsibility to do these things. And I promise you, if you do these things, your marriage is going to get better instead of bitter. And I promise you, God's created women this way. You know, we we hit them hard last week, okay? But God's created women this way that they will respond to this. They want men to lead this. Listen, it doesn't matter what we, the data is in. We know this from actually the, the, the truest way of how do women want men to treat them is still the dating scene. I know marriage roles have changed and everybody, blah, 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 blah. When you go to dating, women have the exact same expectations they've always had. I would like the man to lead. I would like him to initiate. I would like him to pay for things. I would like him to communicate. I would like him to clarify where the relationship is. I would like him to propose. It's like, exactly. Okay, so we're gonna go into them. Here, here they are, guys. Turn with me back to verse 25 and we'll see the first one. Five types of love. They all start with S because I wanted to make this simple for the men so they could remember it. Okay, here it is. (laughs) Yes. Okay. First it says this, husbands love your wives, or we can even make it more symbols. Okay. Husband love your wife. I know it kind of said the same thing to the woman, but here's the first thing you need to have for your wife, a singular love, a singular love. See, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say men love women why doesn't it say that? Because men do love women. (laughs) Ever ever since a man goes through puberty, he's like, women are beautiful and they've got long hair and I like to make them laugh and they're interesting and terrifying at the same time. And okay, all that's true. Okay. So what it's saying is it doesn't say husbands or sorry, men love women. It says, husband, love your wife. Okay. Here's what men need to do. Men need to love one woman and a real woman for their whole life. Now think about how hard this is in our culture today. Think about the amount of images, the average man, especially if he's not a Christian, he's not been trying to fight this at all. Think about just the amount of images he has seen, whether it's explicit things, whether it's filtered Instagram accounts of fake women's lives. Think about how with the hookup, shackup, breakup, get emotionally and physically entangled with somebody for three months to six months and then leave them and do that again and, and keep doing that for a decade of my life and then try to settle down. And people wonder, why do I have so much trouble loving my wife? It's because you haven't learned how to love one woman. You're, tr- you're still trying to love a bunch of women. So here's what men need to hear. Okay, the, the ideal woman, that ideal woman that you have in your mind, you need to get out of your mind. She does not exist, right? Women have this too. Women think like Noah from The Notebook, right? He built a house, and remember that? And in the rain, he yells, I wrote you every day. Remember, he climbs the Ferris wheel. It's like, ladies, that guy doesn't exist. I hate to break it to you. Women have their own, or men have their own view of this. And it's like, listen, the ideal woman, this is just, I'm just gonna get really real with you guys. The ideal woman, ideal woman, she does not exist. And if she did exist, and she met you, she would run away right? I mean, here's the set. This is like the stuff no one ever says. You basically marry someone of equal status. Got really quiet here. I mean, you really do. You marry, I know, you know, I know we, we always tell the guys, you married way up. We never tell the girls that. She'd be like, I will kill you, right? <laughs> you don't say that to a woman. The truth is most people marry someone of equal problems, of equal messed up, of equal attractiveness. And guys do not lie to yourself and think, well, you know what? If I wasn't with her, then I'd be, it's like, you would be with nobody, okay? <laughs> because you're an older, fatter version of who you were when you met her. <laughs> okay, so it's just, okay, so then you got, and here, here's the problem with this. The problem with this is if we don't get this right, this is, why, this is why men struggle to, if we're gonna get real again today, this is why men struggle to love an older woman. Because all their life, all they were ever taught was that beauty is these young women. And so we have to learn, you have, you have to say, okay, and, and here's the thing. If you will commit to one person, husbands, if you will commit to one person, in that one person across time, you will get many partners. Your wife will change so many times, you're going to basically be married to like 10 different women, okay? <laughs> and that will be enough, okay? <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's like, she'll be a young woman and she'll be an older woman and, and she'll, I mean, wait till she becomes a mom. It's like, It's like a completely different creature. It's like, right, you're a mom, you're like never not a mom again. And it's like, okay, well that's a whole different, like you weren't a mom when I married you. And then this is really something to think about. Marriage is such an incredibly powerful institution that when you enter it and your wife enters it, you're both different people. So people all the time, like they're in like the first year of marriage, like I married the wrong person. It's like, yeah, and you're the wrong person also. And you're, you know, it's like, no, what happened is, You both were different people before you entered an institution that's as big as marriage. So here's what you need to do. You need to say, okay, I'm going to love my wife. Now, very practically, here's where you can start. Men are like, well, how do I specifically love my wife? Well, why don't you think through the five love languages? How about that's a good start? We are in the city of the five love languages, right? It's like, well, why don't you start with, you know what the five love languages are, right? There's words. It's like women need food, shelter, clothing, and compliments. That's what they need. Here's, I mean, men do not compliment their wives nearly as much as they need to. And here's how, and men go, well, how much do I need to compliment my wife? When you're embarrassed by how much you're saying, you're getting close. Okay, you're getting very close. <laughs> Probably five to 10 times as much as you think you need to. Other people need to serve their wife more, you know? And serving your wife is basically, how can I make your life easier? And, that, and that's going to be different based on her life stage, based on her lifestyle, based on her age, ba- based on her work schedule, based on, based on all that. Uh, so, so some people, they need gifts, right? Surprise and delight her. For, I know guys are like, well, flowers, she, they die and we, they throw them in the trash. It's like, they're still important, okay? For, for, for other people, it's, you know, touch. I know all the guys are like, that's my love language. It's like, okay, hold on. You know what, t- t- touch is normally when your wife asks you to give her a back massage in 15 seconds and you're like, my hands hurt, you know what I mean? That's what happens to me, okay. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, uh, there's gifts, there's words, there's active service, there's time. Time is, now certain wives are fine just relaxing. Hey, if you're on your laptop and I'm on my laptop and you're on your iPad and I'm on my iPad, if we're in the same room, that's great. Other women will require more. They'll say, I don't wanna just relax, I wanna relate. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you, you may go, what is your wife's love language? The one you're not doing. Usually. Usually it's the one that you're not doing. Now here, and here, one other thing with men, and we have to understand this, men men think of relationships like they think of math or science. A lot of times men are like, okay, well, you know, I brought her flowers and I held her hand and then things went really well. (laughs) And then the next week he brings flowers and holds hand, and nothing happens, He's like what's going on? It's not a formula. It's a relationship in which you need to creatively think. Every person needs to get a PhD in their wife her unique joys, struggles, temptations, challenges, and things that she loves. Okay, first is a singular love. Instead of loving many women and fake women, you need to love one woman and a real woman. The second type of love is sacrificial love. I'll show you this. This is the main emphasis of the text. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church, and how did he love the church? Sacrificially. And gave himself, for her, so a couple of different times he just pauses real quick and he goes, "Hold on, before I tell the husbands what they need to do, I need to root in what Christ has already done." So what did Christ do? Christ suffered for us to serve us. I mean, there's a lot of suffering. I mean, leaving heaven, suffering; becoming a man, suffering; living among humanity for 33 years, suffering; dying, suffering; dying a criminal's death that's painful, humiliating, while being wrongly accused, while being betrayed, while being forsaken by your friends, while dying at a young age in front of your mom suffering. The problem with men today, and it's probably an ancient old problem, is we don't want to sacrifice. The opposite, you you know, all, and all of these, here's my assumption in reading the Bible. Whatever the Bible tells us to do, we're not doing, and in fact, we're probably doing the opposite. That's how I approach the scriptures. It's like, okay, so if we're told to sacrifice for our, our, our lives, we're probably doing the exact opposite. Which instead of sacrificing, we're usually being very, very selfish. Here, here's what sacrifice has to do with. Sacrifice has to do with the future. I mean, it's the. I mean, that's it. You can think anytime we use. Like, let me give you the classic example that I think most of us will get with sacrifice. Um, someone who goes to be a doctor, and many of you have, or you know, people who have, or you've got, you know, spouses or parents or siblings. Whenever you think about this for a second, medical school. And before that, really organic chemistry, right? And then, and then, uh, you know, and then residency, and then maybe chief resident, and then fellowship, and you know, and then finally, you know, you what? You're like 35 years old, and you become an attending doctor. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wife of someone who just had an attending doctor. No. Uh. <laughs> um, well, you think about that. Like, really, you? I don't know. We act this out before we articulate it. But basically, anybody who decides to do that understands i'm going to go through an enormous amount of sacrifice in fact what you basically do you cannot go through medical school residency and fellowship without sacrificing your youth and sacrificing being a normal 20 year old okay for sure and everybody sacrifices that because they know the reward sacrifice by the way and reward are always connected so i saw a picture of sacrifice recently that was really powerful I I was able to go to an early showing of Mission Impossible 7. Don't worry, I won't ruin it for you, okay? But there's this moment in there, you know Ethan Hunt who played by Tom Cruise, you guys, you're all gonna see it, okay, but I won't ruin it for you. Uh, Here's what happened. There's this moment in there where he's got this young woman that he's trying to get to be on their team, the Mission Impossible team. And she's seen a lot already, she's seen people die, she's seen all this stuff, and so there's this really moving scene where he's talking to her and he wants her to join the team and she's afraid. And she said, well, what what, what if something happens to me? And what if we lose something? And and there's this really powerful moment where he looks at her and he says, I can't tell you that you're not gonna get hurt. And I can't tell you that we're not gonna lose people. He said, but as the leader of this team, here's what I can tell you. Your life will always be more important than my life. And it's a turning point in the movie. And I mean, when I I was in the movie theater, I pulled out my phone. I'm like, I need to write this down. (laughs) I had the brightness real low. I was just like, you know, this is... Because, and and, you know, and I felt it last night, and I felt it tonight, to this morning as I shared this. A statement like that softens the whole room. We all know, it's like every man's like, yes. That's the environment. Like that, you know, am I going to hurt my spouse unintentionally? Yes. Am I going to fail? Am I going to... Be selfish? Am I, you know, am I, yes, but what is the promise I'm going to make to my wife? I'm going to say this I promise you that I will always come back to the commitment that your life will be more important than my life. What is sacrifice? Sacrifice is when you give something up that you love for something that you love more. And every man, when he enters marriage, he realizes there's a lot of things I have to give up and I give them up because of someone that I love even more. Now, there's two things I think most men need to practically give up. The first is the dream of personal potential. Whenever you get married, and kids add to this too, you will not be able to accomplish as much in your personal hobbies and in your personal work that you would otherwise. So I've got a friend, he's 70 now, he's a mentor. He said that he wrote a book it was a Christian book, and it really became a best-selling book. But he wrote it when his kid was ten. His youngest kid was ten, and his kid said to him, "When Dad writes, I don't like it because he doesn't spend time with me." So he said, "He said I made this commitment to my wife. I'm not going to write another book until our youngest son is out of high school." And he tells the story now as a seven-year-old. And he said, "When my youngest son left, I didn't write another book for eight years." He said, "And then once I once he left, I wrote another book, and it was a bestseller. And I wrote another book, and it was a bestseller. And." And he, and he said, all these things happened in my life. He said, but I delayed my career by eight years. He said, everything that happened in my life could have happened eight years earlier, and which means I could be making more money and be farther ahead in my career than I am now, but I don't regret it at all because my calling to be a husband and father limits my potential personally. But it expands your potential as a family. Okay, that's the easier one. The harder one is what do you need to sacrifice? the worst parts about you that you still love. And I don't know what those are. You do know what those are. You know, you, you'll probably not wanna think about it, but you should, you should sit on the edge of your bed and think, you know, what am I doing in this marriage that is making things worse? And something will pop up in your head and you'll try to throw it down and pick something else. But the first thing that pops up in your head is usually what you have to deal with. You're like, oh, I drink too much in this marriage and it actually makes me isolate myself you know, I'm, I'm I'm working and I'm traveling too much, and I know it. I've got some secret habit that I thought I had under control, and I, actually, if I I don't want to connect the dots, but if I connected the dots, this is why my marriage is where it is. Now, here's here's what I want to encourage you men with, okay? And I believe this. And by the way, sacrifice I told you it always has to do with the future, and sacrifice always has to do with faith. Here's what sacrifice believes, and I, and I believe this is true, men. If you sacrifice in your marriage today, things will get better eventually. How do we know that? Because we know for sure the opposite is true. Have you ever seen a marriage where one or both spouses is selfish? We know for sure that doesn't work across time and it makes the marriage worse. The opposite of that is when the husband as the leader says, your life will always be more important than mine and I am willing to limit my personal potential to take care of you. And I am willing to deal with the worst parts about me that are hindering this marriage. Third, not just a singular love, not just a sacrificial love, but a sanctifying love. I want you to see this, verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present The church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, a sanctifying love. Now we we have to go back to what Christ does for us because we have to understand men, some men are not good husbands because genuinely they don't understand the gospel. They don't, they're not good Christians so they're not good husbands. They don't understand what Christ has done for them. Christ has done two things at least that we can talk about here. The first I already kind of talked about it but it's important. Christ loved us when we were unlovely. The Bible says we were enemies, okay? So no one had a more unlovely bride than Christ. So some of you, you, you I know some of you men, and I wanna just encourage you. I, I know you're dealing with very difficult marriage. You're dealing, dealing with a very difficult wife. This is, just, this is just how it is. And you're going to have to, as an aspect of faith, you're going to have to say, this is very difficult. But this is not as difficult as Christ loving me when I was unlovely. I mean, Christ loved his bride while she was crucifying him. Some men can relate to that at some level in their marriage. It's like, okay, I'm going to be like Christ, and I'm going to believe things are going to get better, and then by an act of faith, I'm going to love my wife even while she's unlovely. The second thing that we have to talk about that's really what this passage is talking about is it's it's what does sanctify mean? Well, sanctification, right? It means to become the godliest version of yourself. It becomes, It means to become more like Jesus, okay? So here's what this means. Christ loves you. You need to hear both these. Christ loved you when you were unlovely. And Christ, when he loves you, makes you more lovely. It's like every husband's trying to fix his wife and that's why he gets in trouble, right? This is like the classic thing. The wife comes in with some problems and then he like tries to fix it. She's like, I didn't want you to fix it. Oh no, okay, what am I supposed to do? The answer is you're supposed to love her with an efficacious love that changes her. Now, why sanctify? That's a, that's a particular spiritual meaning. It, it has to do with spiritual growth. Men, you need to take responsibility for your wife's flourishing. The leadership of a husband is seen on the face of his wife. So often I see men that they seem to be doing well. They're certainly golfing a lot. They're very tan. They travel a ton. It's like everything, on their, and their wife is dying on the vine. We've seen this before. She's like crying to other women in our parking lot about how hard the marriage is and how the husband is completely unaware of this and isn't taking any responsibility for it. So, okay, so you have to be the spiritual leader. You have to go, now, why, this is important. Many need to understand this too. It's like, well, why, if you could only focus on one thing with your wife, why would you want to focus on her spiritual growth? And by the way, this is not, you don't have to take care of everything yourself. You need to make sure everything's taken care of. Okay, this is a little different. But here's why. This is so practical and helpful for men to know. But this works for men and women, that if you grow spiritually, it will affect every other area of your life. It's the only area of your life. It's the only dimension of your life. If you focus on it, it impacts every other dimension. You could send someone to CrossFit and they'll get in great shape. It's not necessarily going to affect their finances or their relationships. You could send someone to some Dave Ramsey class and they'll get their finances all together and that's great, but that's not necessarily going to affect their marriage and but I'm just telling you, I've seen this for 20 years. A man or a woman starts to focus on their relationship with God. On, on, I mean, a genuine, not just reading the Bible and praying in the morning. I'm talking like, I wanna meet with God, I wanna pray. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, you meet that woman. It's like, well, all of a sudden she's feeling convicted about certain areas of her life. All of a sudden she's caring more about eating and exercise. All of a sudden she's caring about the finances. All of a sudden she's caring about the relationships in her life. And so husbands, what does your wife need so that she can flourish spiritually. You may need to ask her that. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. It's like, well, you know, you need to lead her to church. I mean, it's so sad how many wives have to drag their husbands to church. And it's it, and every husband has like a casual relationship with the church, not a committed relationship with the church. You, you need to be in a community group. Why do we emphasize community groups? Because here's what we know about you and Americans in general. Uh, the average American will only give two time slots a week to the church. It's like, so, okay, we'll take the worship service. Here it is. And then we're gonna, if we only get one more time slot from you, we want something where you and your wife are together. That's why we chose community groups. It's like, we want you and your wife ministering and being ministered to together. And then you need to figure out, okay, honestly, your wife needs to be with other women. And I told the men last week, they need to be with other men, but women need to be with other women. So those women can encourage and challenge her appropriately. So you're just gonna, you're going to have to figure that out. But you need to have a sanctifying love. Okay, fourth, a self-love. Now, this is interesting. He first says a sacrificial love, great. Then he says, you know, or sorry, a singular love, a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love. Now a self-love. Look, I'll show you this. He actually repeats this twice. He says this, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, okay? So that's where I'm getting self-love because look at what he says here. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, we may think this feels a little shallow compared to all the deep things, like, it's like, we got deep with sanctifying. It's like, take you know responsibility for her flourishing, especially spiritually, and sacrificial, lay down your life, and singular, love her completely as a unique woman and don't think about other women, okay? And then it's like, a self-love? Well, here's what this is rooted in. This is rooted in, and I taught this in Song of Solomon, but this is rooted in a theology of what's called oneness. So whenever you get married, you at the wedding day, you uh, spiritually become one. That's what happens through vows, okay? And then that night, you physically become one, and then the rest of your life, you try to kind of practically and progressively have become one. But oneness is a reality. So basically, Paul's like, um, you shouldn't think of your wife any differently than you think of yourself. And see, see, here's, what, here's another thing about women that's different than men. Women naturally understand oneness, men need to learn it. So the average man, he gets married, he has no idea how much his wife wants to do with him. <laughs> Every night, she's like, let's go to bed at the same time. And he's like, why? if you go to bed at nine, I can stay up and watch two hours of sports, you know? My my brother, he was newly married and uh, he'd been single for a long time and he was newly married. And one night, like second or third week at home uh, or second or third week of being married, he comes home with takeout just for himself. (laughs) (laughs) And his wife was like, what are you doing? He goes, I was hungry. She's like, we eat together. (laughs) In fact, I was cooking dinner women naturally understand oneness men need to learn oneness what paul's saying is when you are hurting your wife you're hurting yourself here's what paul's trying to get us to do he's trying to get us this is the big thing for men and this is the thing that men really struggle with to take full responsibility for the marriage that's what all of this is about that's what headship is headship is not some privilege it's not some high hierarchy that you stand on. It's like it is a massive burden and a massive responsibility to where you completely take responsibility for the marriage. So, about 14 years ago now, 13, 14 years ago, uh, my wife and I we were in premarital counseling, and I had the scariest premarital counselor. I mean, he was former military, 65 years old. He'd done like 40 weddings and he told us like the first time, he's like, I've done 40 weddings and none of these, wedi- none of these marriages have ended in divorce and I will not have a marriage end in divorce. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and, he, and, and he had all these sessions. And I remember he, again, he was very scary. I was grateful he was a Christian, <laughs> very violent man. Um, but he, um, <clears throat> he said, to, said to me, and I was just a young man, not even married yet, engaged. He said, Kyle, everything that happens in this home will not be your fault, but it will be your responsibility. And I remember thinking, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) But what did Jesus Christ do? Think about Jesus. I mean, it's such a deep idea. Jesus took responsibility for the sin and brokenness of his bride. And here's what every man needs to do, and I think this is gonna be the toughest thing that men need to do, and you're gonna need to do it. You're going to need to have an honest conversation with yourself. No matter where your marriage is, you're gonna have to say this to yourself. How did I, that's the important first part of the phrase, how did I let my marriage and my wife get to this place? Because I know some of you are in really painful places and, and marriage is so hard because here's the hard thing about marriage. Everything you say to your wife is connected to everything you've ever said to your wife. And some of your marriages, they're full of such bad memories. It's like one of the first things you tell people in like marriage counseling, it's like, you need some new memories together now. Some of you, there's been such a lack of affirmation. And you just, you get in the crazy cycle. By the way, the way you know that you're one is like, when you're fighting, it's like, what does it feel like when you're fighting with your spouse? It's like, well, even, say the fight's over, there's no reconciliation, you're still fighting about something, you're still angry about something. What does it feel like? If you're not married, here's what it feels like like you have a headache, like you have a headache all the time. It's like nothing is right when this marriage isn't right. So you have to say this, man. You have to go, how did I let my marriage get to this place? And then you have to fill in what the place is, and then you have to do the hard work to go, how did I, how did we become sexless roommates raising kids? Because I know you're going to want to blame her because she's not as sexually available as you'd like her to be. Then you have to go back to go, No, 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 no. I'm responsible for this. How did the marriage get to this place? And then you're probably like, well, yeah, she did dress up real cute, and I never said anything about it, and I haven't prioritized date night. And Sometimes you have to say, how did I let my wife get to this place? It's like, how did I let my wife get so overwhelmed? How did, how did I let this happen? Sometimes, how did I let my wife treat me like this? It's like, how have I let my wife talk to me like this for years? How have I let her disrespect me in front of others, in front of the kids? It's like, I, I, I am ultimately responsible for this. But Paul tells us how we have to go about this. We have to go about this. He continues the self-love by talking about the last thing, which is a sensitive love. Look here. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Look here. But nourishes, that literally means strengthens. And cherishes, that literally means to keep warm. That's what the word means. To cherish means to keep warm, which I know women are always colder than men. Isn't that true, right? It's like, okay, to keep warm. Here it is. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Remember, he's appealing to self-love. But nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Men, here's what you need to know, and you know this, and your wife knows this. Women want a sensitive man, but they don't want a soft, weak, and passive man. Women hate weak men. They hate them. They wanna punish them. They wanna claw them apart. They, they, they wanna run as far away from them as possible. And so you need to figure out how to be tender with your wife and tough for your wife. You need to figure out how to be strong and sensitive. Some of you, the practical thing you need to do is today, you need to start opening the door for your wife when you go out to the parking lot. Chivalry should not be dead. Here's what we mean. When we say we treat women differently than men, here, dot, 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 better. That's what I think. Men should treat women differently than men treat men and they need to have a sensitivity to them. This doesn't mean that you're weak and you're passive. Man, you need to be sensitive and kind and gentle in all of the biblical virtues, and you need to stand up for yourself. Here's what he ends with. I'll show you this. With all that, we've gotta get moving here. Verse 31 says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Remember, a mystery is not something we don't know, it's something we didn't know, but now do know. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The final word he gives us is he says, guys, this is all pointing to Christ. You know, husbands, what are you saying about Christ with your marriage? You know, what are you saying? It's like, man, th- this is a powerful picture. He goes all the way back to quote Genesis and he says, a man must leave in order to get married. Here's what, here's what it means for most of us. I know you think leaving, you're like, yeah, leave your family and all that. Here's what leave means for us, all, all the men. Here's the final word to the men. If we're going to be the husbands that we need to be for our wives, we have to leave. What does that mean? You can't stay where you are. That's what it means. It, it means that each of us, manhood means moving. And so the the problem with many men is they just feel stuck and they don't know where to start. And I just wanna encourage you that wherever you are, that's where you start. And you need to aim high. Paul gives us the highest aim possible. Some of you are not aiming high enough in your marriage. You're not. Your aim is like to kind of have a marriage like your parents. It's like, stop that. You have to have the highest aim possible. It's like, okay, Christ in the church, that's it. I'm aiming to be be sacrificial and to be singular and to be sanctifying into my love. And I'm aiming as high as possible, but then I know how weak and pathetic I am. And so I'm gonna start as small as possible. That's what you do. And the one where I haven't said really anything to women, here's the one thing to women. Okay, listen, this is what happens every time I give a men's talk. The men go home and then they start to lead, right? And they say something like, let's pray tonight. You know what the wife says? You're just doing this because Kyle gave that sermon. Not helpful, okay? Here, anytime your husband does something good, I've told you this before, here's what you need to do. Anytime your husband does something good, you need to go like this, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> like That's what we need from you. <laughs> Men, we wanna help you. We, we, we really, we're, we're here to build you up, not to beat you down. And the worst thing you can do, and I know, I, look, marriage is hard. The worst thing you could do is be struggling in your marriage and say, I'm not gonna tell anybody. You know, so you're going to need, most of this, if your marriage is in the same place that it's always been, I, one of the reasons it's there is it's still there is because you've not gotten the help you need. You need help. It's like, look, everybody starts off as a novice in life. None of us know what we're doing. And so there's, and, and older men in this room, do not check out, we need you. We need you to finish well, love your spouse, and we need you to help the next generation. And we're gonna do this together because the stakes are so high. This isn't about us, this is about Christ and the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. I pray for men in here who feel discouraged. I pray you would encourage them, Lord. The the job of the preacher is to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Lord, some men are really struggling. One guy wrote me an email this week and he said, great sermon last week. Can't wait for the guys talk. I'm reading the verses all week, trying to get it right. I pray for that heart among the men and the women. I'm reading the verses and I'm trying to get it right. Lord, I pray for the men and the women. We wouldn't focus on is our spouse doing the things that he or she is supposed to do. We'd be focused on are we doing it in picturing Christ in the church? We praise your name.